the geofence is a static boundary of uh, a defined area, whereas a proximity service is really as I'm traversing through a building, what is around me right now? Is it uh, in a mall? It could be points of interest. And that, again, could be used for triggering messages or just for path of analytics. So there's a lot of different things we can do. Hello and welcome to the Mapscaping Podcast. My name is Daniel and this is a podcast about people and companies that are doing really exciting things in the geospatial world. Today I'm lucky enough to be talking to Chris Wigan from Jivestream and he's here to tell us about indoor mapping and geolocation inside and the challenges that they face doing that and um, what it's currently being used for. Hi Chris. Hey, good afternoon. Thanks so much for taking the time to come along and talk to us today. Pleasure's all mine. Thank you. Um, maybe you could start by just introducing yourself a little bit, telling us a little bit about your background and um, what Jivestream is doing. Sure. Well, my name is Chris Wiegand, and I'm CEO and co-founder of Jivestream. We've actually uh, in our tenth year now, so it's been a an excellent journey for us. And um, you know, for me personally, I've always been an entrepreneur. So I put myself in that serial entrepreneur category and starting businesses from a very young age, maybe the first time I was nine or 10 with some sort of painting grass cutting business and, um, you know, several others after that. And, you know, moving into technology for me was a, a natural segue from working at a uh, traditional print shop that was going digital that uh, really was the beginning of sort of that CRM based uh, one-to-one messaging, which was uh, very interesting for me in terms of how we reach people and with the most impact. And that's uh, really where we started is in shopping malls, trying to deliver the right message to the right person at the right time. Our first concepts had uh, facial recognition that would uh, detect age and gender. And of course, location was at a kiosk at that time and trying to make sure that we were giving somebody some intelligent wayfinding instructions in terms of where are you right now? What are you going to be passing along the way? What's the weather, the temperature, and perhaps what's the uh, most uh, relevant message to you? So uh, from that point on, uh, the the facial recognition never actually made it through. The idea of delivering the right message at the right time has always uh, sort of stayed with us and now uh, much more impactful with location awareness and mobile. And we moved on uh, to expand our, our products or our verticals from just shopping malls to include places like uh, NATO headquarters, the Pentagon, hospitals, corporate campuses. And, and really, we are now a fully horizontal platform with a, a myriad of use cases that all involve location and mapping. Excellent. I think for some of the listeners, we were probably a little bit jumped into it a little bit deep there right from the start. You mentioned a whole bunch of things there. You mentioned uh, geolocation and right time messages. And so I'm thinking we're over in some location based services. How are you locating things inside? This is traditionally a really, really difficult thing to do. I don't think GPS is probably the right tool for the job. Can you explain to us how you're doing it? Yeah, absolutely. So everything starts for us. You know, we typically work in Uh, large complex buildings and we start with the base building drawings so the CAD drawings and convert them into uh, vector-based files so that we have what we consider the building to be addressable Um, and for us addressable means that the map is broken down into objects and layers that can be connected with third-party systems Uh, and some of those systems could include things like asset tracking so assets as we know are 
many different things. It could be things or people or devices. And uh, we're agnostic to the different technologies that are out there today in terms of how we capture location. So depending on what the use case is, if it's just you know straight wayfinding and getting someone from point A to point B with a blue dot, um, that may be done with uh, beacons. If it's going to be something uh, perhaps more mission critical in a hospital, ultrasound in terms of the location technologies, and really always just sizing up you know, what's the level of accuracy we need and what's the right technology and solutioning for that? You know, as I mentioned, um, you know, navigation has been a, a key part of this and always will be, uh, but it's also becoming, you know, as we move into the world of IoT data visualization and there's information that has a spatial context that today just lives on a list format to sort of report. And we give that context by putting it on a map. And that can be anything from room occupancy to what's the status of an infusion pump in a hospital, um, really anything that has spatial context, we give the tools through our platform to um, put that in reference to a map. And um, how would this, how would positioning work with a beacon or, or ultrasound? What, what's the what's the process for that? Well, first we need to make sure that the uh, the building itself is geospatially accurate on the world map, so that we, you know, not just from beacons and otherwise, but that somebody could uh, seamlessly travel from outdoors to indoors, and we can continue that journey. Uh, once we're inside, the you know, like I said, depending on the level of accuracy required, um, there could be BLE beacons that are battery powered that are you know on the ceiling, different places. Um, to create a, a mesh network that we can triangulate from, um, or it could be um, ultrasound, which similarly have hardware. And you know the, the big change that's happening right now is whether those are you know powered by batteries or by uh, power over Ethernet type of thing. And uh, there's another player in the mix with this usually, or always for us when it comes to positioning. We are the visualization tool of that blue dot or uh, device. The indoor positioning system companies that are triangulating those sensors and passing us an XYZ coordinate so that we can um, put that on the map. Wow, <laughs> that's, that's pretty amazing. Do you guys make all your own? Uh, obviously, you make your own software and program your own software. What about hardware? And and how does how does this positioning work? Do I get a completely different device for this? Do I, is it another uh, se completely separate device I have to carry around, or does it work on a tablet or? What kind of um, hardware do I need as a user of this? Well, it works on any device. You know, our platform itself is a uh, deployed through SDKs and APIs. We have web uh, and then native Android and iOS. And uh, it will obviously work on any mobile device with those uh, platforms. And we don't uh, actually own or produce any of the hardware. Uh, we've kept ourselves very open and agnostic to that. It is a fast-changing sort of uh world when it comes to location hardware and um, we really work with whatever our clients have or we suggest what we think will work best depending on the use case and what they're looking to do. Okay, so if I try and uh, sort of summarize this a little bit, you guys do positioning inside, We're, we've definitely established that and um, you rely heavily on the users coming with data. So they have CAD files or GIS files which you upload to your system in some way and then you decide depending on the level of accuracy needed you, you choose a the hardware for that either the beacons or the ultrasound or or maybe a, a third kind of hardware and you throw all that together and then you do do what with it what so okay great so people can find their way around you said something about 
just-in-time messaging before? Was that, was that correct? Is this part of it? Yeah, absolutely. So there's many different use cases depending on, um, just to step back for a minute, it could be a guest or employee-facing application. You know, I'm trying to look for something like a, a meeting room in a, in a corporate office, or it could be even something more back office, like I'm a security guard and I need to respond to something. So the types of messages and alerts that somebody might get, or even the navigation that get through the building is quite different. Um, it is based on your profile, which is a major feature of ours. It's um, uh, where the, the view that you're going to have on your device is really dependent upon uh, what the rules and role-based uh, access you have to, to that information, meaning a security guard would have information that's uh, restricted back of house hallways and things like that versus someone corporate. And so now that we have that established, you exactly uh, nailed it right there. There's geofences, which is a defined boundary within a building uh, or around a building. We, we kind of treat a, a whole campus as a big indoor map if it's it's going to be the same journey for, for that customer in terms of how they want to use the maps. Um, and that means that as I walk into that boundary, it would trigger an event. That event could be anything from a pop-up message, meaning, um, you know, welcome, or it could be a security alert if somebody doesn't have access to that area and they've walked into it as a visitor in a building. Um, or it could be, um, you know, just pure passive analytics and understanding how many people have gone through that area and how long they're staying there. Perhaps we can start to calculate things like wait times in a hospital based on how long people have been sitting in a certain area, like a waiting room. Another thing that we have is something called proximity service. So the geofence is a static boundary of uh, a defined area, whereas a proximity service is really as I'm traversing through a building, what is around me right now? Is it uh, in a mall? It could be points of interest. And that, again, could be used for triggering messages or just for passive analytics. So there's a lot of different things we can do once we've got the map in a uh, digital format and set up you know, all these sort of things like geofences and have location awareness. That's a really interesting and timely idea, the idea of personalized notifications. Uh, it seems to me when I look around the world now that things are becoming more and more personal. I, was, I even listened to a talk the other day, a podcast actually, I love podcasts, listening to a podcast and, and this person was talking about how um, our, when we're online, for example, our experiences are so, man, not manip, don't want to say manipulated, but they're designed for us. They're designed for each and, in, and every individual that arrives online apart from our websites and they were talking about how in the future that perhaps the website would change depending on who's looking at it and where they're looking at it from i mean that, that happens today with our search results so, so i think this idea of personalized messages especially depending on where you are where your location is really really interesting and i think we're going to see a lot more of that in the future you said before that this was a seamless that the navigation was seamless depending on so there was no um, problem going from inside to outside have what kind of um, companies are using this and what kind of areas you, you talked about campuses before and you talked about hospitals are they generally bigger locations that that are interested in this yeah absolutely so you know we think about when we first just started designing these systems we were um, taking it from the perspective of somebody who was already in the building and in a you know, certain position within that building but the reality is that that journey did not start at the front doors of the building they obviously start somewhere else like home or uh, somewhere else in the city. And you need to get from uh, where you are to where you're going inside the building. And so what we want to do is remove friction from that experience. And friction is things like traffic. So, you know, integrating with outdoor uh, mapping and traffic uh, can help us avoid that. And then also 
when we look at get, reaching a building, I'm going somewhere inside the building, meaning if it's a hospital, it's a fracture clinic or something like that. Often what people have done in the past is they would, you know, type in their sort of uh, search bar, the address of the building they're going to, which might be the furthest point from where you're actually going inside. So what we do is geo-reference or geocode uh, all of the indoor locations with the outdoor parking lots or uh, parking uh, garages. And that way I can say, you know, from where perhaps I'm at home, hey, I'm going to the fracture clinic today and it's going to take me to the west lot opposed to maybe the south lot where the mailing address is. And I've already removed friction because I'm closer to where I need to go. As I cross a you know, geofence, actually the whole uh, boundary of the property or the building itself, it now becomes an indoor map and we can start to rely on um, you know, managing the look and feel and behavior of the map for that building. We can integrate with on-site location services rather than GPS and uh, really be with that person all the way out through their journey. Uh, and as things change, because often they do, maybe you've come for three appointments and um, the first appointment's backed up. And we know that from maybe an integration from the queuing system in a hospital. And uh, we can have them go to appointment number two instead of number one first. So we're trying to do everything we can to always just make that as a seamless and frictionless experience for people. And we do that by integrating with as many third-party systems as possible to give us that real-time information uh, just like when we're driving in our car, we're driving something with ways, there's accidents, there's traffic, uh, and we want to help people avoid those things uh, all relative inside as well. Now, because we all have devices in our pockets, smartphones that we walk around with and are glued to every single second of every single day, and we have uh, something called Google Maps, they've kind of brought location to the world, if, if that makes sense. You know, it works on GPS, and it doesn't matter where you are, you can get this location. So they've managed to scale their services globally. This sounds like it's going to be a really difficult thing to scale. It sounds like it'll be a long time before we see perhaps one provider giving us the ability to navigate just as easily inside as we can outside. What do you think the future of this kind of technology is in terms of scale, in terms of being able to do this everywhere? Well, I do agree it will take time, but what we are seeing is, you know, most of uh, the, the sort of industrialized world, uh, you know, corporate campuses, hospitals, all the major centers we go to, um, they've been working on pilots for the last, well, <laughs> nine years, maybe longer. And we're starting to see much more, I would call enterprise deployments happening. So not just a couple sites, but all of the sites. And um, will it be one provider? You know, not sure. Uh, you know, what that will be comprised of, but we're certainly seeing that, you know, the enabling technologies are becoming uh, much more ubiquitous and that would be the location sensing technologies. And, you know, instead of always being deployed through a battery based beacon, they're now, we're starting to think about these things before buildings are built. So putting it into the fixtures like lights and, uh, you know, all different kinds of things where these sensors can live and then be turned on as needed for, not just one use case, but you know several. And I think that's that's a big difference is that the way why this is going to scale is because people are looking at this now as a platform play versus point solutions. Um, so in the past, we'd see people turn on a you know a whole infrastructure just for say turn by turn wayfinding, and now they're recognizing, hey, with addressable maps and location services, I can power uh, security, facilities management, um, productivity use cases. You know, all these different kinds of things that uh, really extend value across the whole enterprise. And I think once you 
have uh, you know sort of full recognition of that, it becomes a lot faster because there is a, a business need. It's not a nice to have anymore. It's really becoming mission critical. And uh, maps and location are uh, being recognized now as a foundational layer to Internet of Things, uh, maybe a middleware, but a very important one at that. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I think uh, lo- location data is just as important now as, as time data is or has been for the last you know, 30, 40, 50 years, maybe longer. I think it's everywhere. And I think the when um, I'm a geographer myself and I can remember the good old days when we used to uh, run around saying that spatial is special. I don't think it is anymore. I think spatial is normal. And I think that's the that that's the road we're going down. We're, we're just expecting it now. It's not a nice to have or an extra thing or something new and exciting. It's just going to be normal. Completely agree. Uh, if we go back to this idea of scaling navigation inside, uh, I think about OpenStreetMap and what that's done for, for geolocation and, and mapping services the world over. And I wonder if you could imagine a time where perhaps we we crowdsource or where there's one source of data for uh, for buildings, for example, a, de- a detailed database where anyone can go to and, and get that kind of data. Because I can see that being a huge problem. Um, I've had the had the opportunity to work with with CAD files a lot in in my day job, converting them to other file formats, and the data lost along the way. It can be uh, it can be a long road. It can be a bit of a nightmare. Yeah, it can be. And what we're seeing to solve for that is some standard formats. So first, GeoJSON is becoming a universal standard for maps, uh, and maybe a, a point of which uh, different systems are, I guess, more likely to communicate with each other uh, versus some proprietary versions of of different map files. So that's that's been a big start. Um, and you know, maybe even more specifically, um, we'll see what kind of traction it gets over the next couple of years, but the Apple IMDF file formats, which, uh, and essentially Apple is looking for, uh, crowdsource maps, but under very specific requirements and validation, uh, so that they can build up their, their indoor maps warehouse, uh, from providers like Jivestream and others. And, uh, they, like I said, they've got a very specific requirement on those maps and it's becoming a, a pretty much a standard in the industry for how um, you know buildings like shopping malls and others that want to share their maps uh, publicly uh, through Apple can uh, can do so. So I think that will be a big part. Uh, it has been a wild west so far in terms of specifications and requirements for maps and uh, I do see that that is going to get standardized and there's a big benefit for everybody to to follow a standard. Just the question is what will be the standard? Location data is very personal, and we talked about that a little bit before, the idea of getting a personalized message depending on where you are. I'm lucky enough to live in Denmark, and we've just, in the European Union, they've just passed some rules around the protection of of personal data. Can you see that as being a problem for for your industry, for this kind of continuous mapping, this kind of continuous geolocation and tracking, I guess you could call it, because it is seamless, it'll happen you'll move from the outside to the inside. You're not safe or protected in the inside. Like, um, can you see that as uh, um, being a problem for your business? I think if, if managed properly, like everything else, um, there's always a risk of privacy uh, when handling any kind of data. Now, Jivestream ourselves, we've always had a, a very sort of clear policy around we don't own the data, we don't store the data, and often it's really not even in our possession. But it is in somebody's possession, and I think it comes down to um, always having opt-in use cases. You know, when we look at 
uh, sort of the, if you had a child and at birth, they said, we're going to put this chip in their arm so that if they're ever abducted, we'll be able to find them immediately and have them back safely <laughs> in minutes. You'd be excited about that. Now, if they did the same thing and said, we're going to put this chip in their arm and we're going to track all their movements and market to them, uh, you know, based on their preferences and uh, track them nefariously. <laughs> you wouldn't be very willing to do that. So it's really going to have to be, you know, why am I opting into this, which is usually an exchange for value at work. You know, the value is to remove friction from my day, give me the option to turn it on or off. We have clients today that um, give their employees the opportunity, you know, turn on my location to allow my quote friends or colleagues to know where I am all the time, or maybe just for a half an hour. And so I think that's going to be some very careful planning on the uh, behalf of, you know, the, the sponsors of these, you, these sort of uh, deployments so that they build and maintain trust. Because I think that once uh, somebody has their trust sort of shaken with a, a solution and it feels uh, like, hey, this is not what I intended it to, to be tracking me for. Um, people have the option to turn it off. And so I think we all have to be very careful about that. But there is just tremendous value on both sides of the equation for us to have these technologies. And uh, it's always uh, take with care, right? Yeah, yeah, uh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, and, and I do agree with you. I think there is tremendous value in, in something in, in this kind of thing if managed and, and, and used correctly. I, I could imagine... Um, it'd be quite easy to, to be the skeptical consumer and say, Oh no, all I can see happening here is I walk past the McDonald's and I get a, a push notification on my phone that says, Hey, eat now kind of thing. But I think what we're talking about here and the examples that you've given, they're a lot, they're more sort of work re related. Is that correct? Well, I, there's always the opportunity and in, in what people always think of is what you mentioned is if I'm in a shopping environment and that's not, not going anywhere, but I, I wouldn't want it to uh, give the impression that that's, you know, the, the highest value or the only value proposition. I start to think about uh, where we're working now is in, you know, worker safety. So people who are working in dangerous jobs, whether it be in mining or in otherwise, um, they have a vested interest to be tracked and want to uh, have someone automatically alerted if they have not arrived at where they should have in the time that they should have. Uh, we've got unfortunate situations where active shooters and, and different things like that, where we want to know that people are accounted for uh, or any kind of disaster emergency. And so those are the types of use cases that we're seeing come up uh, more often now than just the sort of marketing uh, use cases. And I think that the, the long-term value and benefit to people is certainly making, again, that a, a must-have versus a nice-to-have uh, value proposition for our clients. Yes. Um, when I when I think about um, um, location-based services and especially the, the kind of things that we've been talking about here for the last uh, couple of minutes here, I think I wonder, I can't help but wonder when Facebook, when Apple, when uh, Google is, is going to introduce their own version of this. Is that something that you think about? Can you see that on the horizon? Absolutely. I mean, we see Apple has already uh, entered into this space, but their model is very different. They work with companies like Jivestream to uh, produce and manage the maps. That's not the business they necessarily want to be in. And I think the same sort of applies for uh, all of these, you know, sort of uh, larger companies like Facebook, Google, Apple. They're not typically in the application business. They're more at the infrastructure platform side and looking to... Uh, other providers, smaller providers like us to, you know, produce really the uh, 
uh, special sauce around how are we, you know, deploying and managing these solutions. Uh, many of them, it may appear that they're coming out with their own solutions, but it's made up of players like ourselves uh, that uh, are driving these uh, te technologies in the background. And that's for us, no problem. Uh, in any case, you know, we're not just completely brand centric that everybody needs to know this is a Jivestream solution. Our goal is really uh, to drive OEM solutions and to be baked into these products, which could include those companies and often uh, many other large uh, corporations as well that want to have their own solution. And, and for you know very pragmatic reason, um, it takes many different components to create the end solution. And so they're taking best of breed uh, of all the different things that comprise that solution. And that includes you know mapping, positioning, but also the user experience and all of the different things that somebody might do with that application in a day. So uh, I think we will... It's unlikely that we're going to see uh, a fully uh, through and through Google or Facebook solution um, that's all internal technology. I think it'll be a myriad of technologies that make up that end solution. Yeah, and I guess I should have I should clarify what I'm thinking when I think of those larger companies coming into the space. I think of them coming in as um, just kind of creating awareness around it, what's possible. I think uh, in general, there's a bit of skepticism skepticism around just delivering all your data to someone like Google if you're a large organization, if you're a, if you're an airport or if you're in a hospital or something like that. And, and not just Google, of course, but any sort of large um, corporate entity. I don't think people will just sort of hand over things. They'll be more inclined to take more of a, 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 um, a solution they can control a little bit more themselves. But I see it as a way of just creating awareness around what's possible. And I think as soon as that's done, the idea, like pe people will start to expect this. They'll go to they'll go to an airport. So I can see this this great um, solution in, in front of me, where you know you arrive at the airport. It's a stressful situation. My flight's cancelled. A uh, push notification arrives to my phone. Says, "Here, walk this way. Go this way. Stand over here," kind of thing. And you know, we where you're personally sort of guided through the airport and shown what what to do. That's of course just a very simple example. But I think once we come to expect more. Then, then we'll also then companies like uh, JiveStream will also step up and start to deliver more. Yeah, absolutely. And you raise a great point about you know data ownership, data control, um, and you know working with clients like San Francisco Airport, uh, they really have a mandate to be their own digital landlord, which I think is an interesting model. And what that means is that they don't want you know outside mapping companies or uh, air, airlines and different vendors in the airport all creating maps of their space for you know a number of reasons. One is uh, consistency and accuracy and just control of the, the data. Uh, whereas now that they've got their map uh, digitized and uh, you know combining that with location, they're going to be able to provide an API to anybody who wants maps of their location while being able to suppress proprietary data they don't want to uh, make public, uh, depending on who you are. Some, if you're in emergency services, great, you get everything. Um, sometimes if you're a different type of provider, you might just need uh, basic maps. And so now they're in control of their space and as they make changes. And frankly, you know, not speaking specifically for them, but going into the future for um, airports and other venues like them, it could even become a revenue model to say, hey, we've got uh, maps as an API that come with location and, um, you know, pay a fee for that service type of thing. So it, it's it's changing uh, dynamics out there. And I think we're going to see, just for the reason you said, nobody really wants to give everything over to any other large uh, corporation like Google in terms of their proprietary data. 
Uh, they'll control it and then they'll distribute it as they see fit. Can you give me one of your favorite examples of indoor tracking, indoor mapping, indoor geolocation working really well and some of the some of the benefits that have come with it? Yeah, I think that where I see the, the biggest benefits is in a place like a hospital. You know, there's just so much going on in a hospital and obviously, um, you know, the reason people there ranges from, a, you know, typical appointment to something that's maybe more life-saving. And so where we know where specific devices are, they literally can save lives or at least dramatically improve the outcome for patients. So that could be things like wheelchairs as a you know, level of comfort. How am I getting someone from point A to point B and knowing where those wheelchairs or beds are to something like an infusion pump. And this can really make the difference if you know, a um, health practitioner uh, goes and grabs uh, a piece of equipment and it's you know supposed to be ready, but it's not. Maybe it's clean or dirty, sorry, and has a low battery. Um, that can have a huge impact. So that's what really excites me is when I see uh, mission critical use cases being uh, carried out with location technologies. And uh, kind of in contrast to that, in a different environment and manufacturing, again, uh, you've got buildings that are you know three, four million square feet with literally millions of uh, things in them knowing where they are, how to find them, uh, combining that with, you know, worker safety and things like that is uh, what I think is the, the exciting part about our future is, is how we're really going to impact the way people work and live. Could you imagine your system or, the, or this idea of um, navigation inside, could that be integrated with autonomous vehicles at some stage? Is it just as a... Absolutely. Yes, Absolutely. I was just thinking when you gave that example, I'm assuming it was a warehouse you're talking about, you're talking about an incredibly large space filled with millions of objects. I just thought that would be the perfect um, use case for an autonomous vehicle or a robot of some kind, a pick pack, whatever. And if it had uh, detailed information about where things were and where things um, and where the other robots were in relation to it, then it could uh, be very efficient, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And one of the key pain points uh, or ways that uh, we can really help with those sort of things is maps are always changing. And that's largely the most underestimated part about deploying an indoor positioning mapping system is um, not just getting it out there, but the day to the management of those maps. So the way we solve for that is by integrating with, you know, third party systems, whether it be tenant management systems or whatever is controlling space, or sometimes we become that single source of truth and automating the change, or at least making it very easy to make changes so that everything is up to date and accurate. So as in this case, the autonomous vehicle was looking for something, it is where it's supposed to be. And it's not <laughs> bumping into any walls. I'm sure it wouldn't anyways, but um, you get the point that the maps being up to date is, is a key thing, of course. And in some of our customers, they literally have hundreds or thousands of changes a month uh, that are you know really largely automated through these integrations. Yeah, I completely agree. Like maps, location is constantly changing and data is only good if it's if it's correct and up-to-date and accurate. I would personally rather have no data than inaccurate data. How do you push out these changes? I remember reading on your website at some stage there that um, the system would work offline as well. So let's say I'm offline. How do I know I've got the most correct, accurate data? Well, the map loads... The first time so you would need an internet connection or data connection uh, on initial load but once it has then you have that as cached on your device and whether you're online or offline you're going to have access to all of the points of interest and the navigation 
and uh, everything you expect in terms of that experience. What you wouldn't get offline is any new updates. Um, that being said, with our platform, uh, we have the ability to push updates across all devices at the same time by publishing a change in our content management system. And that would, um, although it's going out to all the devices, it, as I mentioned earlier, the profiles feature, depending on your role and your access and what your user experience is defined by, by all of that, um, you would get the updates as well. It just may be more in depth if you're having full access to a map with all of the back of house areas, uh, or it may just be a sort of a limited view. But um, the point is we manage it all in one place and you publish that change once, and then uh, it would be updated and refreshed across the uh, devices that are consuming that API. When I, I realized we've touched on this a little bit in the um, before in the conversation, but I just wanted to ask you, what can we expect of this kind of, uh, of technology in the future? More of the same, just faster? Or can we expect, are there, are there new sort of exciting things just around the corner? Well, I, I really believe that, you know, having the foundational layer of maps and location infrastructure, it's going to be now up to the business units or, you know, sort of people that are defining, uh, you know, sort of these use cases of what they want to do, because really the only limitation is your imagination. Uh, we, we're seeing people do new and interesting things every day. Uh, as I mentioned, I think it's becoming much more about sort of these operational mission critical use cases. Um, but I'd say the first thing we're going to see is, is just, you know, going back to earlier in our conversation is scale. Where can we expect to see these things? We're going to be, you know, really become quite accustomed to having it available to us in, in most of the environments we go into. And uh, we're moving definitely from this sort of pilot stage to more ubiquitous deployment. So that's, that's exciting. Um, we still have some hurdles to get over though. And, and that really comes down to interoperability. You know, there are still legacy systems at the facilities management level and all levels that uh, maybe uh, still have some modernization to do in terms of the types of maps that they can share from their base building drawings uh, out to systems like ours. And other sets of data that become very important for these use cases need to uh, make sure that they uh, can essentially talk to each other, as we always say in Internet of Things. So the next year, I think we're going to see scale and more interoperability. Uh, but from there, we can expect to see all the things that we're getting outside. And I think that's the big thing is that the indoor world is the next frontier. So we've got you know, excellent location analytics. We've got excellent seamless and frictionless driving because of you know traffic apps and things like that. And all of those same things that we've been experiencing outside should be available inside, uh, perhaps with more. Maybe there's going to be, uh, you know, more things like augmented or mixed reality. And um, the more data we can share and interoperate with and put it in context of a map just brings so much more value and then new ideas on what we can do next. So I believe that uh, once we have it sort of going, it's going to morph itself and, um Again, every day we're, we're surprised and delighted by the ideas that our customers have to solve their business needs uh, using maps and location. And it's the, you know, the world we're living in today is, is very real time and also just in time. Um, you know, we'd love to say that we're all planning ahead for everything, but often you know, we're leaving one meeting room and we've got somewhere to be and getting to that room based on maybe elevators down or something like that. Uh, it seamlessly navigates around and then the world of automation. 
I walk into an area of the building, it knows my preferences, or maybe I'm the only one there. Um, and it's got uh, different lighting controls or into a room and the, the phone starts dialing. So it really, it becomes this uh, big seamless journey, as I keep saying, uh, but it's uh, the premise of all of it is location. I think that is a fantastic way of looking at it when you, when you said that we can expect all the things we have outside today, inside. And there was, I think you really, you really nailed it there. That's, uh, that's definitely my expectation as well. But like you said, maybe just a little bit richer because I think the nuances in a home or in a building, in a place of work, yeah, I think uh, once they're mapped, once they have a location, then yeah, I think we'll, we'll be in for some really exciting times. What would you say to someone or what would you encourage them to do uh, someone who was looking into getting into into um, GIS, into mapping, into geospatial today. I'm at university. What what should I study? What should I think about? What kind of skills should I acquire? Wow, that's a great question. I I, I guess for me, it's you know it's, a, it's an overused word, of course, but you know the Internet of Things. Um, you know what are the what are sort of the the, the background information I can have to understand interoperability of technologies and systems would be a, a great place to start. Um, because really a map is just a map if you don't have uh, the ability to, you know, push real-time updates and, you know, sort of all these other technologies say having a blue dot is just a blue dot without a map and it's not in context. So we really have to learn how do these technologies come together and, you know, what are, what are the ways that it can be deployed? And, it's not always about a visual rendering of a map either. So starting to look at things like conversational interfaces, very lightweight uh, applications. I'm in a building and I, you know, looking for a restroom or something like that. And it just automatically detecting where I am and, and then uh, providing directions either visually or through, you know, text directions. Uh, and all of that in the background is, is systems talking to each other. It knows where you are seamlessly. Um, if it was to do with, you know, a room or something like that, or a piece of equipment that you needed, which one's closest, what's its status. And, uh, you know, I, I think can't say enough about interoperability. So whatever somebody can do to uh, be as educated as possible and, and the working knowledge of, of interoperability, I think that's a great platform. And as you mentioned earlier, I don't think we're going to be talking about mappings and location so much. It's just going to be a given and expected uh, and will just be the canvas in which all of these systems are really uh, presented to the end users. I think we're slowly but surely coming to coming to the end of our time together. Is there uh, somewhere we can go to learn more about you and more about your company? Absolutely. So please visit jibestream.com. We have uh, lots of great resources there, ranging from just the web pages themselves, but. Uh, if you really want to dig in, we've got some excellent white papers and uh, webinars with our end customers, which is always great to see and learn from. And uh, follow us on uh, major channels, Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Excellent. Thank you so much for agreeing to this interview. I've uh, really enjoyed it. I've learned a lot. I'm sure I've list listeners have learned a lot as well. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you very much. So I really hope you enjoyed that interview with Andy from Jivestream. I think he raised some really interesting points about indoor mapping, the challenges that are associated with it and where it's going as a technology and what we can expect to see in, in this area in the future. I apologize for the sound quality on, on this uh, episode. 
I had to cut the cut the audio audio files quite a bit, so I realise uh, the the sound jumps around a little bit there. That's something I am working on, so I hope that this will improve in the future. And as always, if you have any questions or comments about this podcast, uh, please find Mapscaping on all of the ways, the different social media channels. We're there. Just search for us. Or there's a full transcript of this podcast on our website. It's mapscaping.com forward slash blogs forward slash podcast. Thanks very much. And uh, we'll talk soon. Hello and welcome to the Mapscaping Podcast. My name is Daniel and this is a podcast about people and companies that are doing really exciting things in the geospatial world.